Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jay Tipton, and this is Work Green, Earn Green. I know it's been a minute since our last episode, so I hope y'all didn't forget me. But the good news is we're finally back, and we're in for a great 30 minutes. The bad news is it's our final episode. I know, I know, it's a huge bummer. But no need to cry because we've had a pretty epic run. And before we get rolling in today's episode, I'm about to switch jobs for a second and tap into my DJ skills because I've got a solid gold jam to play for all you out there. Here we go. Back home again. Oh man, does that take me back. My grandpa used to sing it all the time. Now maybe it's because he's a proud Hoosier his entire life, or maybe because he was a massive Indianapolis 500 race fan. And they play that song before the start of every single race. While the race is important to the culture and history of the state, so too are sports. Images of basketball hoops on red barns, Friday night football lights, and freshly mowed soccer fields go hand-in-hand with Indiana because it is a true blue sports state. Which brings us to today's episode. I'm going to explore Indiana and sports and how sports has a massive opportunity to create green jobs. So buckle up because you're in for a ton of sports puns. And to start the race, I spoke with Roger McClendon, Executive Director of the Green Sports Alliance, about the social and environmental impact of sports on a global, national, and local level. So the Green Sports Alliance is really a convening organization of 320 teams, leagues, conferences, universities, professional teams that focus in on sports and sustainability. It's a nexus between sports and driving sustainability through the power of sports. The Alliance's mission is simple to raise awareness about how sports can be more environmentally friendly and then amplify that awareness to create change both on and off the pitch, field, or court. How do we look at the environmental impact through the lens of sports and impact not only the game or the venue, but also the community? And not just on the environmental side, I would expand that out to social impact as well as health and wellness. With over 300 partner teams filling hundreds of stadiums with tens of thousands of fans, While being broadcast to millions of viewers across the entire globe, the potential for sports as a platform for change is unrivaled. Sports is a language that no matter what your demographic or your nationality, it's something you can relate to. And it crosses over gender and economics and it brings people together. And so it really is a great vehicle to talk about and to practice sustainability. Some of these athletes, they have millions of followers and By standing on that platform, you can get people to ask basic questions. Shouldn't we have clean water? Shouldn't everybody have clean air? What's the responsibility of corporations and others in the ecosystem of sports to stand up for that responsibility, to own up to that accountability? So I think through that channel, there's power in sports. Getting fans to ask questions is an excellent place to start. But this is sports, baby. We want to see some action. So how can awareness translate into movement? When you can have some messaging around how do you clean up your stadium, how do you make that a sustainable event, you may be able to influence fans to do the same things. That's a fact. I want to take a minute to talk about the Indiana University Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, Indiana. I've been watching sports my entire life, and one of my favorite parts of going to see the Hoosiers play is definitely the tailgate. 
But after every game, my environmentalist heart is always a bit heavy from seeing the amount of trash around the stadium. Because when it comes to sports, trash and food waste is a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. We just came off of college football playoffs, which is one of the largest events as far as viewership behind the Super Bowl than any event in the world. And so what we were able to do is divert 80% of all the waste associated with the game, the Expo Center, and the surrounding events away from landfill, which when you get especially food waste into landfill, it creates methane gas, which is like 30 to 50 times the global warming potential than CO2. So it's a big negative. Trust me, Roger. We know a thing or two about the dangers of methane thanks to the rice fields of Arkansas. But what we didn't know was that on the global level, sports have the same amount of emissions as a mid-sized country. So how can sporting events reduce the amount of methane-emitting waste that winds up in landfills? The only way you can do that is creating jobs like sorting teams, waste vendors. We need to build more immersive infrastructure, especially in places like Indiana, where the diversion rate on recycling is only about 7 to 8%. So the new green economy has to talk about using waste materials, which you would throw away, into reusable materials that are actually of value. And that's what's going to stem a lot of opportunities for job creation. Come to think of it, there are tons of materials produced for live events. Imagine all the flags, flyers, and fanfare that get produced every year, only to be taken down and thrown out a few days after a game. So Roger is definitely on to something here. To give you an idea of what that reuse might look like in practice... We work with this company, it's called PUP, People for Urban Progress, to take our decor and our signage and recycle it into a number of items. They do everything from book bags to wallets to all kinds of things, and they're using our banners for that. So that's really neat reuse, and people treat it as a memento after the event, but it lets us reuse all that vinyl. That was Susan Boffman, president of the 2022 College Football Playoff Indianapolis Host Committee. The College Football Playoffs, or CFP, was started in 2014. This year's championship game in January, which was held at Lucas Oil Stadium, home of the Indianapolis Colts, was the most sustainable one yet. The event pulled in more than 100,000 visitors and generated over $150 million in economic activity for the city. That massive win was the result of a game plan, many years in the making. Yeah, that's right. Indianapolis was awarded the bid back in 2017. It took Susan and the host committee four years of planning and preparing to execute this major green achievement. We went out and got the experts. We decided that our best success would be coming to work with Keep Indianapolis Beautiful and the Office of Sustainability at the University IUPUI. This was a real team effort, and it paid off big time. The result of these organizations coming together is quite impressive. 117 tons of food waste was diverted from landfills. 25 tons of organics were composted. 75,000 pounds of food was donated. And they offset the weekend's unavoidable water and carbon emissions through the purchase of renewable energy credits. When it comes to sports events, those are some record-breaking stats. But I gotta be honest. I'm having a pretty difficult time picturing sports fans getting as excited about recycling as they do about a championship game. So what exactly was it that motivated people to go green? To have one of these big events come in and sort of 
get everybody talking and buzzing. It was really key because that was really the first big national event that had full attendance since COVID. Yeah, it certainly creates excitement around it. I think that promotion of what you achieved was very strong. Well, thanks. I mean, we really want to celebrate it. And I think it could inspire someone else or a different event to also do it. While it does take a lot of time and work, it's not impossible. There are mechanisms in town to make this a feasible thing to do. There are groups out there that are waiting to help and really just need that connectivity to an event or a festival or a convention. So it takes someone dedicated to making it happen, but it's very possible. All right. But the natural skeptic in me had to ask, with major events coming around once a year, or even once every four years, like the World Cup, how can we make sure that people don't drop the ball as soon as the game ends? I think with these major sporting events, it's kind of like you build it and they will come. If you can show that your city or your venues have elevated sustainability, I think that helps get events. So that then becomes a leverage point to ask our pro teams and our venues and our city to invest in more enhanced sustainability efforts because we want to win these bids. They're good for us, not only from an economic impact standpoint, but from a city pride and involvement and engagement standpoint. I'm not sure Susan could have predicted the ripple effect the playoffs would have on sustainability around the city back when she put the bid together in 2017. In fact, Susan told me that sustainability was not even a requirement by the College Football Playoff Committee. So even though her role was primarily in organization and execution, I had to ask one of my go-to questions. Does she consider her job to be green? I believe it's my responsibility to make my job have a green component. So my job was not created because of sustainability, but because of my job, I believe that these events can be more sustainable. So I believe there is a correlation. Touchdown. And on that note, it's time to break. When we come back, I'll be interviewing some of the major players helping to make sports as green as the grass we love to play on. So take a seat on the bench and stick around. The way we work and the skills we need to do our jobs are changing fast. What do you need to know to keep up? And how do we as a society ensure everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed in today's workforce? I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Join me each week on the Work in Progress podcast as I go one-on-one with the innovators and decision makers who are helping us navigate our way through these challenges. Play ball! Welcome back. Before the break, we heard about how the city of Indy came together to host the most sustainable college football playoff championship yet. But much like how Rome wasn't built in a day, that feat wasn't just beginner's luck. As a sports-crazed city, Indy is no stranger to hosting some of the world's biggest sporting events, like the Final Four, the Super Bowl, and just last year, the entirety of March Madness. Literally all 67 games. So whenever Indianapolis hosts a big sporting event, whether that be college football playoffs, Final Four, Super Bowl, we activate around certain things that we're trying to get done for that particular event. We were the boots on the ground to do a lot of the data collection and analysis. That was Jessica Davis, director of the IUPUI Office of Sustainability. As Susan mentioned earlier, IUPUI plays a huge role by measuring the environmental impact of events taking place throughout the city. Just like a team reviewing tape from their last game, 
Each event offers an opportunity to find room for improvement. So when it came to putting a plan together for the college football playoff championship, IUPUI took what they learned from college basketball and then took it a step further. So the entire March Madness tournament was hosted in Indiana during COVID, which has never happened before. And they saw what we were able to accomplish for that. And they basically said, we want to do exactly what you did for March Madness, only make it even bigger. So we expanded the scope of the environmental data collection for greenhouse gas inventory and water footprint. That meant expanding measurements from the stadium to include fan zones, museums, hotels, and ground transportation as well. That union of data was then used to inform the purchase of water and carbon credits to offset the weekend's footprint. But it doesn't end there, because when the next big game comes to town, IUPUI is hoping to reach even higher by expanding their scope further to include fans' air travel and their inventory of emissions to offset. And I would wager a bet that as these scopes expand from one year to the next, they would almost certainly call for some green jobs. I have seen an uptick in sustainability jobs that I've never seen before. Related to greenhouse gas inventories, it's about folks who know where the data is housed, how to collect it, and how to interpret it. A lot of these big organizations are making commitments to sourcing 100% renewable energy or going carbon neutral. So they need people to assess before they can create their strategy. In order to get a better understanding of how the data can translate into strategy, I spoke with Yogi Stevens. Sodexo Live's district manager for the Lucas Oil Stadium and the Indiana Convention Center to see how these venues and their vendors are working together to reduce waste. We produce so many good numbers from college football based around sustainability. It's kept fresh in our mind, and that's what we want to do after every single event rather than just one time. Formerly known as Centerplate, Sodexo Live is a major food and beverage hospitality vendor in the sports and entertainment market. If you've ever ordered a beer, burger, or bra at a game, chances are pretty high that Sodexo had a hand in getting it to you. So how exactly did this juggernaut adapt to the needs of feeding nearly 70,000 fans while keeping sustainability in mind? We partnered up with Green Sports Alliance to train our culinary team, our chefs, our front of house operations team, as far as what to look for when it comes to a paper product and how to separate that from garbage and what can be used and reused versus what cannot. What we've done so far is really look at our paper goods and our containers that we're putting our food items in. So now it's probably close to about 70% that is eco-friendly material that composes. Swapping out wrappers and packaging sounds like a great start for the supply side. But how can vendors ensure that their concessions waste are ultimately disposed of correctly? During the game, they put bins out on our concourses where the fans would walk by. They would help guide even the fans out there where to discard recyclable items. So even during in-game, they were placed throughout the stadium to help people recycle in the moment. That's another opportunity that I see as tackling in the upcoming five years. Training and education. That is the most important part because if you put a blue bin next to a black bin, how many people really truly know what the colors are? My bet is not that many, but Yogi has got me thinking about some serious potential. The stadium seats 68,000 people. Well, if 68,000 people recycle, that's a pretty good start. I don't know, Yogi. Getting 68,000 people to back the same cause sounds a little far-fetched, don't you think? Oh, wait. I almost forgot we're talking about sports here, where thousands of screaming fans regularly come together to support the exact same effort. So how can we channel that passion into sustainable action? 
I would love for some of the players to get more involved and really help us push some of these incentives. And that could be even during in-game promotions with some of these players just say, hey guys, at the end of the game, please recycle. Or maybe we just need one catchy stadium chant to get the ball rolling. What about... Na 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 na, hey hey hey, compost. I believe if we really push, we'll basically start the trend here in Indianapolis. And if we start it, I just see that carrying out through the entire city. First Indy, then the world. And speaking of the world, I hope you didn't think I wasn't going to go the entire episode without circling back to the single largest sporting event on the planet. That's right. When we return after the break, we're going to discuss the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indy 500. Don't go anywhere. If you're curious about green jobs, good news. Working Nation has even more content for you to dive into. Alicia Clark here, producer of Work Green, Earn Green. And I'm excited to share that a new edition of our video series, I Want That Job, is available now. Each episode features careers that are in high demand and help save the environment like construction managers, geologists, and some others that may surprise you. So be sure to check them out. Subscribe now to the Working Nation YouTube channel and follow the hashtag GreenJobsNow. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engine. When it comes to sporting events, Indy is home to the biggest, baddest, and boldest event on the entire planet, the Indianapolis 500. But don't take my word for it. Just ask any of the 300,000 fans who show up on race day. I'm sure any number of them would love an opportunity to work at the Speedway. And fortunately, for all you racing enthusiasts out there, I was able to connect with one IndyCar fan who successfully turned his love for the sport into a sustainable job. Meet Logan Waddle, a recent IUPUI grad who now serves as Penske Entertainment's first ever sustainability program leader. If I could have told my 10-year-old self that this is what I'd be doing, I'd laugh because we're an industry that burns gas and burns tires and travels a lot. And to have this massive challenge in front of us to reduce our impact on the environment is something that is so cool and unlike any other position in the world, really. And hopefully when the day comes that I retire, I can look back and say, man, we made a tremendous environmental impact. Okay, let's pump the brakes real quick. Before we skip ahead to retirement, first we got to hear how Logan got to where he is now. When I graduated high school, I knew that I had a major passion for nature and the environment. And then I also had this big passion for racing. I said, okay, I really want to try to go live my dream and work in racing. So I came to IUPUI where I got my degree in sports management and a certificate in motorsports studies. And how did you get connected with the Speedway? So the Speedway had this program that college students could come work at the track for the summer doing really basic level operational work. And so for me as a race fan, it was a dream come true to get to spend every day at the track. So there I got a really unique look into the motorsports realm, looking at all things facilities and operations related as it goes into an event. Logan told me that this inside look came with a pretty startling realization. We were the greatest spectacle in racing and the largest single-day sporting event in the world, and there was not a single recycling can to be seen on our property. So he and one of his like-minded co-workers championed an effort to set up a few recycling bins around the speedway. 
And the result? We diverted four tons of waste our first try, which was huge for us. And we were celebrating it. And from there, anytime anyone had a sustainability question or had a suggestion, they would come to us. That little push for recycling was the golden ticket. Flash forward to the beginning of 2020 when Roger Penske purchases the Speedway. So we're under new ownership and one of the large overarching goals and initiatives from the Penske Corp level was sustainability and diversity, equity, and inclusion. In early fall of last year, Roger Penske sent a letter to all 66,000 of his employees saying that sustainability was going to be an even bigger initiative moving forward and that each of his companies was going to have a dedicated sustainability leader. Being the one who had been working on all of these operational-related sustainability initiatives, they pulled me in and offered to make me that person here for Penske Entertainment, which was kind of a dream come true because now I get to do my two passions. I get to help impact the environment and also get to work with the IndyCar series. So now that Logan has the official title, I asked him about the projects that he's currently working on. The big thing for us right now is really taking a look at our footprint to collect data on every single source of emission that we have within our company, which, as you can imagine, being in racing and being in sports entertainment is very difficult. I bet. And I also bet a task that size would require a lot more teammates. When we started baselining our footprint back in 2019, the sustainability team was one, maybe two people. When you look at what we've done so far and then what we could do long-term across the rest of our IndyCar series races, we would need a lot more help. The industry is only going to explode. So the more people we can get working on this, the better for everyone. Well, Logan's journey is pretty dang inspiring. And because of his success, I thought he might have some words of advice for those looking to get into sports sustainability. The thing that I learned that I think really propelled me forward in this career is knowing the ins and outs of the entire business. Because whether or not you think it does or your CEO thinks it does, sustainability impacts every single person within a company. When people hear sustainability, the first word they think of is recycling, right? But when you think about the broad realm of sustainability, that's only one small piece of it. So not even on my radar was diversity, equity, and inclusion, and things like procurement and community legacy. And so had I had that background and knowledge, I would have definitely wanted to take advantage of that as well, because those are all really key and really important pieces of our world's sustainability journey. All right. So just like a racetrack, I'm going to bring this podcast full circle as we wrap up the last leg of the road trip. I've got one last question on mine and one very special person on the line who can answer it. So, Paula, what do you think? Can the sustainability program leader at a sports venue that is always burning up rubber, racing fuel, and motor oil be considered a green job? If a company or a sports institution doesn't have a sustainability officer who is responsible to the board, then the company is not doing anything. But if gradually that we're thinking more about it and we're going to put this into the C-suite or into the, the management division, then it becomes a kind of corporate imperative. And over time, it will become more and more important because it's not just saving money, it's risk. What do you mean by risk? If the weather gets very hot and rain is unpredictable and you have these rainstorms, people aren't going to go to the stadium. They're already staying home. So the sports industry has a stake in a global effort 
to address climate change and other environmental problems. Why wouldn't the Indianapolis 500 say, we're starting our sustainability journey and maybe you can too. Is your job green? Did you know? Why don't you ask? You know, there's a lot they can do with communications, maybe more than anything else. Jeff's audience is there. Everyone looking at the same thing, which is very rare. Yeah, you think about the Super Bowl and I think half of the country tunes into that to watch it. They can make tremendous impacts on behavioral economics. And that could be a very significant advance. Climate change is primarily an industrial problem. It needs to be addressed at the industrial level, which means power generation, transportation systems, and reinvention of all kinds of manufacturing processes. An industry like sports is not a part of industrial America. It's a couple of tiers outside that. So where can they have their biggest impact? The biggest impact would be, I believe, educational, signaling individual change to the game goer, and also demonstrating change by literally, in the case of the Indianapolis 500, demonstrating cleaner fuels in the race, that's got a significant potential impact, as long as it's followed up, as long as it's not just put out there once and left as a one-time event. By now we know that tackling climate change is much more of a marathon than a one-night-only event. And it's important to remember that these efforts don't need to be addressed alone. Teamwork makes the dream work. An opportunity can come from sectors that don't come first to mind, like sports. With a massive reach and billions of fans across the world, sports has a great opportunity to provide green jobs. So hats off to Indianapolis for showing us how it can be done. Well, loyal listeners, Indiana marks the final destination for what has turned out to be quite an epic green job road trip around the U.S., and it seems like a fitting place for me to take a break from the road and make a pit stop for a long overdue visit to the Tipton family. But before I go, I want to thank all of you for coming along for the ride. Listeners tuned in from all over the U.S., as well as in Poland, Germany, Spain, Italy, and many other countries. Regardless of where you're listening from, I really hope you learned a thing or two along the way. I know, I sure did. And let's plan for another trip soon, yeah? There are many more states to hit. So this isn't technically goodbye, it's a catch you later. Oh, and before you go, do your favorite podcast host one last favor and share the episode. Finally, don't forget to visit WorkingNation.com to find additional content on green jobs. Later days. This podcast is produced by Mike Zunick. It's executive produced by Melissa Panzer, Joan Lynch, and Art Bilger. It's written by Jay Tipton and Mike Zunick. Edited and sound mixed by Linz Florin. Assistant editor is Meng Fang Yang. Talent producer is Emily LaLuce. And the associate producer is Diana Iden. Music is by Avocado Junkie. And this podcast is made possible by the Walton Family Foundation.